Welcome to the as yet unnamed Armstrong and Getty long form podcast today. If you call the podcast, it won't come running to you because it has no name. Come here. <sighs> today, Mike Rogers, former U.S. representative from Michigan. Uh, he uh, served from 2001 to 2015 as a congressperson for about five of those years. He was chairman of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Yeah, which is a big deal. Yeah. At least used to be a big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. He was also an FBI agent, um, investigated all sorts of corruption and organized crime, um, and, and he joins us now. <laughs> Mike Rogers, hey, it's, it's great to talk to you again. It's been too long. How you been? I have been doing well, thank you very much, all things considered. Well, let's uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I, I was just going to say politics is taking an odd turn in the country. These Hadn't days. noticed. In what way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. In what way? <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I need to take about six weeks off. Uh, so let's begin with the most critical issue before us. Uh, you uh, you were in talk radio for a little while between uh, political gigs. It's harder than it looks, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. I, you know, I enjoyed it. I had the uh, kind of the old Paul Harvey segments, and we were on about 256 stations. Cool. Uh, you know, every day, three times a day. I loved it. It was great. But uh, you know, it's it's hard being extemporaneous all day long, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's our only skill, so we've done all right. But uh, we got a chance to enjoy uh, some of what you did, and it really was quite good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. More consequentially, for a part of our conversation today, you were in the FBI for a while. I was. Um, so I was not surprised that FBI agents have political opinions. Everybody has a political opinion, uh, or, or certainly, certainly anybody who's smart should have one. Um, I was pretty surprised that people have as strong opinions that they share among each other in the midst of investigations about some of the particulars they're talking about. Was that shocking to you talking about, of course, the, the struck page texts and that sort of thing? Uh, well, what shocked me most was the volume of those texts. I don't know how either one of them got any work done. Yeah. <laughs> well, Affairs take up a lot of time from what I read. They were texting each other. Yeah, um, yeah it does. I mean, listen, every FBI agent has, has some political belief. Uh, it's ingrained into you as a young agent, or certainly used to be, that none of that is allowed to filter into your work uh, you know, we're there's no gray area in the bureau. You're either you know you investigate the crime, you find the details, you find the facts, you turn those over to the prosecutor for prosecution or or not. And so when you see that level of that discussion, now it was not as a part of their work. And I think you know if you were going to make the claim that it impacted their work, you'd have to show me how that did that. But clearly, what was distracting to them was their relationship, which was in violation of FBI rules. Uh, you know, et cetera. We could probably talk about this all day, but I do want to at least extend it for a minute. The The FBI's role in getting the FISA warrant and the uh, infamous Trump dossier and the um, leaking stories to the press, then citing those stories as supporting uh, the FISA warrant. Uh, does that uh, seem fast and loose to you or are we just laymen who don't get the way it works? No, it does. I mean, A, that the FBI would use media stories in its application was certain, certainly a little foreign to me. Um, that's not known as a known source. You know, you don't know who the people who were talking in those articles, et cetera. If they used, uh, if they purposely leaked a story, then use that story in the application, I think that's a serious problem, and somebody should kind of pay a consequence for that. that that's not, that is not good due diligence on a FISA application of any sort. I, it's not clear to me exactly what happened. I know there's allegations that all that happened. 
you know, we, we tend to only hear one side or we hear one side says nothing happened. One side says everything happened. I'm going to guess the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And, you know, before we, I think, decide that the FBI is, you know, quote unquote, corrupt from the top to the bottom and is rotting and all of that, I think we better know those facts. And so if that, in fact, has happened, I'd be the first one to stand up and say whoever did that should be punished. No doubt about it. Well, I guess uh, maybe what I'm getting at is that is are we just um, becoming aware of the way things work or has there been a change in the way things work at the FBI? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, if that is a custom of the Bureau, it certainly wasn't that way and would not have been tolerated when I was an agent. Interesting. And should not be tolerated. I, I don't believe it should be tolerated. If if you, you if you purposely leak a story uh, and then you use that story, you don't disclose that to the judge. Uh, you you know to me you have purposely misled the the judge in the court. That's a crime. And if that's that's in fact what they did, then they in, they should absolutely be charged with a crime. You should just you cannot tolerate that. You know the the one thing that the FBI does that you know most agencies can is take away your freedom. And even you know the fact that it gets out that you're under FBI investigation, pretty damning to your character, right? Even if they got it wrong, right? And so. I always argued, listen, we, you have to be way above report, uh, reproach on any of this because you are possibly ruining somebody's life, family, career, fill in the blank. And if that's the case, you better be right. And if you're, you know, there are times that the Bureau hasn't gotten that right in the past. And if you're now deciding that I want you to be guilty and then I'm using techniques to get to that conclusion – that is a serious problem. I am not completely convinced that happened. I need to see a little more information. Remember, what you read in the paper and what people's allegations are need to be substantiated, too. So if you're a government official, uh, you know, i.e. a member of Congress who would have access to some of this information, and you are purposely misleading the public, I don't, it's, probably, it's not a crime, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's absolutely dishonest, and it is, uh, you shouldn't find yourself in possession of material to make those kind of aspersions. How do you appre- approach reading the morning newspapers, given what you've just said, and given the rather uh, questionable track record of accuracy, various leaks, and questionably sourced stories? Do you, do you even bother? I do. Grain of salt. I mean, um, you know, it, I, it's good to stay informed. I think some, different newspapers have different takes. Uh, you know, our founding fathers were engaged in some rather nasty aspersions using, you know, quote unquote, newspapers and mm-hmm. free press. And so, you know, it seems like we've dipped back into that level of, of news reporting. And I call it affirmation news. A lot of people now go to the news outlet that is going to reaffirm what I already believe. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure that's healthy. I hope we get away from that. I like an independent news organization that challenges uh, that pushes only out the facts, that doesn't have commentary. Pretty hard to find that. If there's a news outlet that has that, please let me know. Yeah, Comey famously said, uh, FBI Director Comey said that uh, people who leak don't know and those who know aren't leaking. Well, that, you know, I wish it were that way, but, you know, there's, there's, you, you could interpret some of the texts that have been released that they were leaking to try to influence stories. Yeah, and again, their conversations certainly cast out, right? And I think that's a legitimate question. Those investigators clearly casted doubt. Well, uh, one chief of staff, one investigator clearly casted doubt uh, on the authenticity of that investigation. And so, yes, they had the right. Now, remember, 
they were caught. It was disclosed that they had a problem, not because of their positions on, on the president. It's because they were breaking the law, or excuse me, the rules of the FBI. They were having an affair. They were using government equipment, all of those issues. That's why they got turned in or, or they were discovered. And once they discovered what those text messages were about beyond uh, having uh, a relationship that was beyond the bounds and rules of the FBI, uh, Mueller called them in and said, you know, uh, at least to this, the FBI agent, you're out. You know, you got to go. I can't have it. And so and I don't know what more Mueller could have done under those circumstances other than that. Um, and then, I, you know, I would argue you would have to go back and look at his all his 302s. Those are the reports you take for interviews. Any other uh, information that he made a part of the file for the investigation, you'd have to go back and look at all that and say, all right, was this tainted? Was this tainted? Was this tainted? Was there another agent involved that we could use as a credit? I mean, I, I, if they didn't do that, I'd be shocked and ashamed of them if they did not just because of the nature of this investigation. I don't think all the FBI agents are bad. I don't think they all wanted to put Trump in jail. I don't think any of that. I do think that there were leaks coming off of the Hill that were partial snippets of what they had, uh, and it was clearly designed to influence the narrative about the investigation. Okay, I mean, if you believe it, as I try to tell my former members, there is a better way to do all of the things that you're trying to do. One is let's get the facts out there, all of the facts. Some of them aren't going to support your case, but some might. Uh, And that's normally the way these things are handled. But this selective leaking, I mean, the most dangerous place was between – you know, whoever's leaking on the on the Republican side and the chairman and Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California, you know, he would run to the microphone. You know, I think he may have set some world world records in track and field getting to those microphones after classified hearings. That's not right either. You know, that whole thing, they would come out to the microphones and say, well, I can't tell you what just happened in this classified hearing. But, boy, it doesn't look good for the president of the United States. Wow. Well, that's wrong, too. Yeah. Right? Because now you're inferring I have information that you don't have, but you should trust me and come to my conclusion because I saw something. That's wrong. I just don't think that's right. You mentioned the independent counsel. What do you think of Robert Mueller, the man? Uh, to what extent do you trust uh, the process and whatever the outcome is of the, uh, the investigation? I think he's a man of integrity. I do. Uh, listen, I had some strong differences. Well, I was chairman. He was the FBI director. Uh, we butted heads on some issues. Um, and one of them was a big administrative issue on how they were treating agents once they became supervisors. He wanted to put time limits on their supervisor things. And it's a, it's kind of a long human, uh, uh, you know, human relations kind of a, uh, an issue but you know it got we were feisty about it and and uh but one thing i always remembered i mean he was you know as i said you're stubborn as a mule we ended up working the deal out but i never felt that even at the most heated moment that he would do anything other than what was honorable i mean we're allowed to disagree it's okay right and i i think the same way of him today i don't think he's purposely trying to do something that isn't um that just isn't legal or right. I don't think he would make anything up. I don't think he would say, I don't like Trump. And, you know, my opinion would be he probably doesn't like Trump. Um, you know, I just I just don't I can't see him doing that. Now, other lawyers around, him, I can't speak for them, but I can speak for him. And I just don't think he would. So even the cases that you see, it's really clear what his strategy is. I am going to put these guys in a vice and I'm going to squeeze them until uh, they talk to me. And I've always, I said from the very beginning of this investigation, trust me, as somebody who's 
been that FBI agent on, on, on bigger, more organized crime cases, you know, if Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was the lieutenant for uh, John Gotti, who, you know, reportedly killed dozens of people for the mob and was, you know, the complete La Cosa Nostra, you know, poster boy, if he decides he's cooperating because the FBI is all over him, then I'm telling you, everyone that this guy touches will cooperate eventually. And I said that about Paul Manafort because the weight of these cases and these charges is real, and you're going to jail, and that's real. There's no making any way around it. So I think they're all finding ways to cooperate. And I think that was his plan all along. And in an investigation, these other charges that are not related to Russian collusion, I would argue, do come up. And I think you're obligated as a prosecutor to either forward them or, you know, uh, or prosecute them yourself. And I think that's what his tactic has been. But plenty of people have said the fact that zero has leaked about any significant conclusion means they don't have anything in spite of squeezing Papadopoulos and Manafort and the rest. Uh, does that seem like uh, too large a leap in logic to you? I mean, it does. I've always said I don't think the president will get indicted. I, I, I just don't. I, I think, you know, kind of looking over the the transom at their operation up in New York, it was, I don't think they could collude with the RNC, let alone <laughs> the Russians, um, when they were running their campaign. And so I, I just, I don't believe it. I think some really naive people, including his uh, uh, son, Don Jr., walked into these meetings, you know, and it's all heady, and now I'm the head of this big presidential campaign. I've never done it before, but that doesn't stop me from knowing all the answers. Right. And I think they just made really dumb decisions I, and as far as the collusion part. Well, yeah, I've, I've said many times, I thought the, the Russian agents, including uh, the uh, Russian lady agent, were, were playing them like piccolos. I mean, they were experts in subversion, and old Don Jr. wanders in like a babe in the woods and thinks he's going to get what he wants. I just I think they were being silly, but that's just my theory. No, I think you're right, and I, I do think that's probably what the investigation is going to find um, if they don't get off into finances and other things. Right. I mean, I think that's probably their busy, biggest exposure. But the Russians knew exactly what they were doing, uh, and I'm thinking all the people up in New York didn't have a clue what they were doing. You know a lot more than the average person, having been an FBI agent and then on the uh, Intelligence Committee. Can we handle the truth? Is there a lot more bad stuff going on? way more than the average person realizes. We'd be horrified to know what you know. Um, you mean as far as politics or this particular case? or Trump, Just, just in general. Being an FBI agent, knowing how many bad people are, are out there doing bad things, being on the Intelligence Committee and all the stuff coming into you from around the world. It's a, is it a significantly uglier world than we think it is? That's what I mean. Uh, there is plenty to keep you up at night, I will tell you that. Uh, no shortage of those stories, uh, for sure. Uh, and, you know, that, to me, that's just the way it is. I mean, you just think about a police officer in a city who doesn't say much. It's likely because they've seen the worst of it in those cities, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it becomes almost commonplace for them. And they do their job, and it keeps it away from the rest of the law-abiding citizens, at least we hope. And so I think that's exactly what you see in the intelligence. I mean, listen, what people don't understand is what America has, everybody wants. Uh, and they, a lot of them are willing to do really bad things to get it. And so when you look at even nation states, the way they're changing tactics about how aggressive they're being on spying on the United States and trying to do disruptive cyber attacks, meaning cause harm, uh, you know, economic harm to American businesses and jobs and other things, all that's real. And it's coming. And it's here. And so 
just because your iPhone works every day and you think that you can, you know, be fat, dumb, and happy strolling down the street, there are there is really good people trying to keep the lid on this whole thing. So I do believe that there is a, a little bit of a gap between what Americans know uh, and and or think they know and what is really happening. I tell people we're in a cyber war in the United States. Uh, most Americans don't know it, and we're not necessarily winning. And most Americans think, as I said, gosh, everything works, and I can now have online banking now. It's all great. I don't care. Well, it, it's it is. I mean, it, it's it's some days are nerve wracking. I mean, imagine if if power goes out in a city like you know to fill in the blank, New York City, right. and for, not for a day or two or three or a week. Well, how about forty five days or wow. sixty days before they can get it back up and running? Because we've had a destructive nation state attack on our electric grid. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do the people do? Right? There's no food. There's no water. There's no sewer. There's no cash. What do you think happens? Netflix in the city of 8 million people? completely gone. Good lord. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. What would President Mike Rogers' doctrine be on uh, cyber attacks, attacks to um, our electronic infrastructure and power grid, like you say? What would you make clear to America's adversaries in advance? And if somebody did take out the grid, like you described in New York City for an extended period, and you nailed down who it was, what would the response be? I would let our adversaries know that we would look at that like a kinetic strike, like you fired a missile and killed a lot of people, because that's the that's the result of it. Just because electrons do the killing uh, or or cause the killing doesn't mean we ought to treat it any differently. And I know that sounds out there, but if you don't tell our adversaries, uh, you know, listen, we, if we find out it's you, uh, there will be a kinetic strike. You will pay a price for this, and it will be a kinetic strike. It will be a cyber strike. We will make you rue the day that you attacked America. I look at that as an attack on the United States. Well, how about a cyber attack on our election system? Well, it's the it's the same. I, I wouldn't call that uh, is equal to the rise of a kinetic attack, but it is clearly at risk. And I, listen, I, I've been saying this all along. You know, Republicans want because of I think the way Trump's posture is want to say, oh, nothing happened. This didn't really happen. This is all a big farce. And the Democrats say, oh, God, no, that's why we lost. It's the only reason we lost. And, all, you know, this, and both are wrong. And so no, we need to have the courage to step back from this and say, you need to understand something. The Russians are trying to meddle in our elections, and they do it because they've been doing it for 70 years. They now have a new tool called social media and cyber that they didn't have 70 years ago. And they're having an impact. And they don't care if Donald Trump wins or Hillary Clinton wins or whoever the next candidates are. They really don't care. They love creating chaos uh, so that you and I are at each other's throats, that America doesn't like America. I do think to a (laughs) large degree it has worked. I think it's worked really well. You're just saying that because you're a liberal. I think the Russian colonel who came up with this plan is probably a 16-star general and hasn't been taking a sober breath in about six months (laughs) with all the vodka they're applying into him. I mean, it has been outrageously impactful, and they love it. And we we now look at us. I mean, my God, the Congress can't even agree to turn the lights on. We can't agree that someone giving a speech hasn't insulted somebody by saying one word or another word. I mean, it is really something. And by the way, they inflame all of that. One thing we learned in the election is that they they were trying to pit Christian groups against Muslim groups. They were trying to pit white supremacist groups against uh, black activist groups. They were purposely trying to cause conflict. 
And, you know, our our fires all got lit. And, and rather than take a step back and say, look what the outside is trying to do to us. We've just decided we're in a circled firing squad and just, you know, crank off as many rounds as you can. And I, I think it's dangerous for us. I really do. And by the way, President Trump let something slip in the last few days that China has now been in our, you know, and some people were saying, oh, that's just Trump. being." Trump. I'm telling you, if he said it, he heard it in a briefing. And I used to be in that business and still do some things. That worries me now, too, because we've watched the Chinese copy the Russians in certain espionage techniques in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm guaranteeing you they thought, hey, high impact, low risk, why not? Uh, Jack, do you want to talk more about this or in the uh, eight, ten minutes we have left, do a little bounce around the globe I got with a, Mike? I got one more quick question okay. on the cyber. You said we're not necessarily winning. Who, who are the best players on the cyber field out there? Uh, Russians, Chinese are gaining. Chinese get you by volume. They just have you know, huge numbers of cyber warriors whose job it is either to steal your company's secrets and uh, repurpose them in China uh, or, um, or do some st- destructive attack or some kind of espionage on the information. So there's four key players that you have to worry about if you're American companies trying to do business every day. And, oh, by the way, keep the Russians out, the Chinese out, and the other two are Iran and North Korea all using really good, sophisticated techniques, and they're got out of the bounds what we would normally call government-on-government or spy-versus-spy espionage. So now they're doing other things, including causing economic harm by stealing from businesses and doing those kinds of things. So those are the four big actors. And then what we see is that the, the capabilities is shifting from these nation states into organized crime groups, international organized crime groups. And we think some of it's purposely shared, meaning the best techniques in cyber uh, you know, warfare and hacking and all of that goes at the government level. And then they've shared some of those techniques. And think about it, if you're Russia and you're under sanctions and it's not going well economically, you hand it to some organized crime group that used to be former KGB guys or what were former KGB guys and say, why don't you go hurt a few of these American companies? If you can cause them harm, good on you. We had nothing to do with it, right? And so if you can steal them blind, steal them blind. And so we're seeing some of those activities in a way that we haven't seen before. And most Americans are happily bliss. We still, you know, bring up, you know, trot out Edward Snowden and say, see, the government's bad. In the meantime, the Russians, the Iranians, the Chinese, the North Koreans are cleaning our clocks. So uh, let's jump into a time machine with Xi Jinping briefly. Uh, what's his vision of China in 50 years? Is it merely an economic superpower? Is it a U.S.-style uh, military superpower, both? Uh, what do you think they're, they're working toward? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, they often say, and everybody who wants to sell to China says, ah, oh, there, there's just this financial grind between us, our two nations. And I say, yeah, it's that, but it might be a little bit more. So they've told us they want to have a blue water Navy that competes with the United States Navy, and they're well on their way to do that. They, for the first time, I think it was maybe in two years ago now, they voted, their parliament voted, uh, the Communist Party voted, to allow troops outside of their what they would call their defensive region. So they put armed troops in uh, Djibouti, right? That's a big departure from a country that says we only have a military for defensive purposes. They're now making ports of call with their Navy in Latin America and other places around the world. That's certainly not in keeping with their 
at least their public statements, that they're just a defensive nation, creating the islands in the South China Sea and then militarizing them, not in keeping. So they have all of these actions that don't fit their rhetoric of, gee, shucks, we're just trying to you know, feed a billion people. And they're trying to do that, and they are going to try to influence. They want to be a world power that has influence around the world, and then they want to have the military jack to back it up. I think that's what you're seeing them march to. And they won't be afraid to use it either, this notion that they wouldn't do it. Remember, the Chinese killed as many Americans in, in the Korean War as the Koreans did. So we that's, could, a, that's a heck of a statement. Right, right. We could talk for a week about Iran, but uh, give us a snapshot. What are they trying to accomplish, and, and how much should we uh, fear it and or respect it? Well, I, I argued up front, and even John, uh, John Kerry, the, current, the Secretary of State at the time, said, yeah, they would use some of the cash for nefarious purposes, but we should do it anyway. And we're paying a price for that. So we see their activities in Yemen. They want to be a regional power. They want to control the Mideast. They want Shia dominance in the Middle East. And they're going to work to do that. So, by the way, if you are in the cyber business, you really need to be in the Mideast just to see all the nasty malware being shot at each other over there. It's, it's awful. And, by the way, we ho- we're hoping it doesn't spill over and get fired this way, even though it will eventually. And so they're using... Uh, covert ap- operations in Yemen, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, and they're they're causing some real harm, and that's what they want. They want to be respected as a at least a regional power, and I think you're going to see all their decisions uh, are going to push toward that. Other parts of the world you want to check in on, Joe? Yeah, well, uh, goodness. Um, yeah, again, we could talk all day about Iran. You know, I, I've said many times on the Armstrong and Getty show that uh, I don't think we pay attention to our own hemisphere enough. What do you make of uh, Venezuela, um, the instability in South America, Central America, refugees, etc.? A uh, huge problem. The displacement of, of refugees in Venezuela is a huge problem. I've talked a lot to the Colombians about how they're trying to deal with it and maybe some of the help that they're going to ask the United States with that. Uh, you know it's bad when the government uh, assigns the army uh, in, for the responsibility of distributing food. Right? That's when you know all hell has broken loose. And that happened in Venezuela. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a real problem. And, 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 of course, their boogeyman is the United States, right? It's all the United States. Well, it just happens to be socialism. Democrat socialism or not, it doesn't work, causes misery, and we're watching it in our hemisphere. And so I argue we, we need to keep an eye on it. And there are some other nation states down in Latin America that are falling to the left. Uh, and every time that happens, there is the, the body count goes up, uh, starvation goes up. And problems to the United States goes up. And so I, mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think we've lost sight of Latin America and our, you know, we, we did Colombia exceptionally well. And then we say, well, that's it. We're done. And we should have never taken our eye off of that ball. The, the, I will say this about Mexico. One of the first things I did as ch- uh, chairman, there are provinces that you, they can't keep police chiefs because ki- the cartels, the drug cartels kill them so much. Um, and I, it was really interesting. So for all your, the, 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 the talk about drugs and legalization and all of that, when I went down there first, because we were really worried about the provinces along the border, collapsed in what we would accept as, as good governance because the cartels were so violent. And you see that violence continuing today. They said, well, listen, would you guys just stop using drugs at the rate that you do? It might stop all the murder mayhem uh, in, our, in the country of Mexico. We can't keep up. 
And he said, by the way, you're, and this was before they talked about it. You guys are going to talk about uh, legalizing marijuana. You will kill tens of thousands of Mexicans when you do. How so? Wow. That was a really striking thing. And you look at the violence that's on the border all around there today, um, because you have increased the willing participants in drug use in America. I, you know, we, you know, we have. We, we have some odd notions that there's just no consequences anymore to anything. And I worry about this a lot. You're going to open up that Pandora's box, and I don't know how we're going to put it in. By the way, legalizing certainly hasn't stopped the violence in, in Mexico. Uh, I got one more question uh, about your uh, time on the Intelligence Committee, just because you brought up um, the way it is now. Between Nunez and uh, and his co-chair... His name is uh, Schiff. Schiff. Adam Schiff. Um, Adam Schiff. Th- that has just been such an embarrassment, and I think most people have written that off. Let, let's not even pay attention to their report. I mean, the, those two going at each other. I mean, is is there any getting back to any sense of normalcy and and respectability among some of these committees? Some of these. Well, I would hope so. You know, that committee was never ever intended to be political. Um, I worked, you know, hand in glove with my Democrat. I'm a Republican. That my Democrat counterpart when I was chairman. For those four years, we worked, you know, like hand in glove because it was national security. And we agreed up front. We weren't, you know, we were going to do nothing. Uh, We can disagree. And we did. uh, But we're going to come to a conclusion and we're going to keep secret secrets. And we're not going to use this committee as a political weapon. And unfortunately, I think both the chairman and the ranking member have decided a different calculus. And I do think it's embarrassing. And I think what I do know is that the oversight that we were conducting when we were there I know for a fact is not happening today because they can't even agree to turn the lights on. They're always fighting, snipping. If you're a trained intelligence officer, would you want to go sit in front of that committee and tell them something really sensitive that's going oh, on? No, absolutely oh, not. Good Lord, no. <laughs> right. It'd be I mean, in the newspaper by right? the end of the day. Yeah. Hey, yeah, exactly. listen, and we know you're pre- that's wrong because they need it. That oversight is really important to the country. And I, that's getting lost in all of this. My report's bigger than your report, uh, and I have, you know, I have nastier things to say in my report than you do. That is that is so unhealthy to the purpose of that committee. Amen to that. Last question, what's next for Mike Rogers? Oh, it's, isn't it going to be the Armstrong, Getty, and Rogers show? Is that what I heard? <laughs> well, we're prepared to make you an offer that can only be described <laughs> as paltry. <laughs> Hey, listen, I've got some new company technology stuff that I'm working on that I'm very excited about. And I have not said I'm done with politics, but uh, I'm really excited about these. uh, I'm a co-founder of this company and technology. And one day, once all the testing's done, I'd love to come back and tell you about it. Oh, sure. I think it's going to help change America for the better. Please do. Mike Rogers, a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. You got it. Here's the three key things that he said to me. Okay. One, Jack's Keys. Jack's keys to the podcast. Uh, the three big things. We're in a cyber war, whether you realize it or not, and we're not necessarily winning. A relentless, round-the-clock, everyday cyber war. From, Multi-front cyber war. From a guy who chaired the Intelligence Committee and knows. Um, him also saying that... And not sh- the temporary select committee on intelligence. The permanent select committee on intelligence. And his comment on China, because people do always say, well, they're not, you know, they might be good. They want to defend themselves or whatever, but they're not, uh, you know, they would never attack anybody. And he's saying they absolutely would, Mm -hmm. which is a heck of a thing to say. Well, yeah. And that's the history of that country. uh, That's what she said. Xi Jinping is a crazy (laughs) smart guy. And he absolutely 
is not going to show a clenched fist until he is strong enough to to throw quite a few punches. Uh, because I've I've heard the we just want to be an economic superpower argument, and and there's a fair amount of truth to that. Uh, on the other hand, you can't be an economic superpower right, right. without some pretty good thick arms and and gnarled fists and the ability to throw them. Just because it's a big ugly world, I mean they're operating like crazy in Africa. Um, and you know if you don't follow this, one of the great attractions of China the for East. these. Well, right. But, yeah, same thing. In either of those regions is China says, we don't give a crap about your human rights. Please, don't waste our time. Here's $60 billion. You build your port. We're going to use it some. All right? You understand? Um, But so they're going to get extended in that way. But you got militias and pirates and hostile regimes and neighbors and the rest of it. So, yeah, they got to be able to to, uh, you know, police their economic highways that they're building with force. And the third most interesting thing he said, again, as a guy who would know, is that the Intelligence Committee is a joke, and that is not good for the country. As it is currently constituted? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's troubling. Uh, a really interesting guy and a guy of conscience, Mike Rogers. I really hope... I see. I don't know. It's funny. I think about politics a lot, obviously, and I don't know if a guy like Mike Rogers is better going back into the swamp and trying to, to, to move the beast by an inch. Or you realize times have changed and my kind isn't going to make it anymore. Right. Or is he better off in private life, you know, coming on shows like this and um, yeah. trying to move hearts and minds? I don't know. I would love to see him, you know, ascend to a seat of great power, but he got tired of it and got out. Speaking of this podcast, next time, Lisa Kudrow. You remember Phoebe from, Ch- from <laughs> oh, Friends boy. or something. I don't know yeah, what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah Gally. Uh, talk to you next time.